and welcome to this edition of the Seven Investing Podcast. My name is Simon Erickson. I'm founder and CEO of Seven Investing. And I'm really excited today to talk about the semiconductor and cloud computing industry because there's a lot of talk about is it the end of Moore's law? There's a lot of acquisitions going on out here in 2020. Artificial intelligence is, of course, a huge headline that everybody wants to talk about. But I really wanted to go to an expert to get the true scoop on what's going on out there. And so that's why I'm super excited today to talk with Paul Teich. He's the principal analyst out there in Lifter Insights in Austin, Texas, joining me on the podcast here this afternoon. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining me with Seven Investing. Hey, my pleasure, Simon. Paul, we've got so many different angles we, we could take with this. You know, we, we've kind of mentioned Moore's Law is winding down and the CPU architectures are changing. We've seen some multi, you know, billion dollar acquisitions out there in the semiconductor space. But maybe to start, let's start with artificial intelligence. Uh, because you and I ch chatted last back in March, you know, last time you're on the Seven Investing podcast, we talked about the different layers of cloud computing, right? From kind of the ground up, you've got infrastructure as a service, right? If you just want memory, you just want storage, you've kind of got, kind of got those things. And then you can kind of have the building blocks on top of that platform as a service, and then software as a service at the top for the application layer. And Paul, to spot you up, I guess, with my first question, is it seems like a lot of those early SaaS companies were out-of-the-box solutions, right? Maybe I wanted something for payroll processing. Maybe I wanted something for, for inventory or something like that. But artificial intelligence seems like it's so much more complex that these simplistic out-of-the-box out SaaS solutions aren't as applicable anymore. Um, what's your take on artificial intelligence and how is it changing cloud computing these days? Wow, so big question. Um, it, it's completely changing everything, but let's start with really what that, what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, model training, okay, is is the heart of uh, deep learning and, and, and what we call AI. I'm just gonna say deep learning, machine learning, right? Uh, so AI is a big thing. Machine learning is a subset of AI. Deep learning is kind of what this explosion is all about the last five or seven years, okay? And so deep learning training uh, requires real world data, okay? Um, or if you're training cars, simulated automotive data, but you're basing that on real world simulations, right? Uh, but you have to have a lot of data to train a model, okay? And it's very compute intensive. That's where NVIDIA has made all the money the past you know, five years, right? <laughs> it's, it's really compute intensive and it, it it's matrix, basically it's matrix math. It really accelerated well on GPUs and now we get these special tensor, tensor cores to accelerate it even better. We can talk about memory in a second because memory bandwidth, memory controllers all factor into the fact that each model is actually different. So we've gone from these very simplistic, you know, single layer of you know, neuron models, these not just multiple layers of hundreds and thousands of neurons, but, uh, but ensembles of models. So now a, a typical, what we call an AI, you know, is, is actually a collection of deep learning models that run together and each part of the model specializes in a different part of your recognition problem. And therein lies the challenge with like building a single chip to rule them all. Okay, so GPUs are really good in a, in a general purpose sense. They're much better than a CPU, okay? And for lots of reasons, they're easier to program than FPGAs, okay? FPGAs have a place, we can talk about that in a minute, right? Um, 
but where where GPUs have made their hay is that they're they're parallel programming of all of this matrix math that has to happen to do the inferencing once you've built a deep learning a trained a deep learning model. Okay, so you train a model over here on essentially a supercomputer, whether it's in the cloud or dedicated, right? Um, and NVIDIA HGX box, right? Um, and so it takes a Take some cycles to train a model. It takes a lot of data to train a model. We haven't really figured out this whole single shot thing. You've, you've seen probably some academic papers, some some initial benchmarks. And recently, there have been some single shot um, research published, but it's not really a thing yet um, where you can train a model with a little data and it'll do something really useful and repetitively um, with a high quality. Okay, so let's say we're talking about Alexa. Okay, everybody's favorite AI. Um, it's right. You need smart speakers, but, but we'll we'll take Amazon's Alexa running in AWS. Okay, um, once you've trained a model and it's fairly stable, uh, then you can look at how to optimize it. Okay, and so after a lot of iterations, AWS said. Yeah, maybe it'd be more efficient if we designed our own chip to go do this. Now the clouds don't share any of their internal data, right? Google, Microsoft, Amazon, yeah, they don't share data with their supply chain. Um, and so they're sitting on all of this voice data. Okay, so you know the folks running Alexa eventually have this really big collection of what people are saying to smart speakers and how they need to go in, what kind of questions they need to answer about the weather and sports and TV channels and entertainment. And so they train in AI, it's a very specialized AI, and they have all this data that says, here's the way our model should work. And it may look completely different like GPT-3. Okay, GPT-2, GPT-3, the open source, um, speech recognition models that are out there um, and speech generation, their model may look completely different because they've evolved it differently. And so AWS can afford then to say, we're going to deploy our speech recognition and speech generation because part of Alexa is speaking back to you. So the, whole, the pathway is there's a, there's a set of models that determine what the user is saying, what I speak into a smart speaker. Then it goes into the cloud, it figures out what the actual intent was with a different set of models. Okay. Says, oh, he's asking about last night's sports score or whatever, right? And now you wrap that back up and you speak it back to me in a an English sentence. That takes some AI there. So it's it's all of these ensembles of models together to deliver this what we we think is a simple smart speaker experience. So to run the cloud-based portion of this, Amazon designed its own inferencing chip called Inferentia. Unsurprisingly, it's not a very imaginative name, but real clever name by Amazon. Point, right? Good job, Jeff. Good job. Yeah, good job. It's it's an inferencing chip. Okay, it's not a training chip. They're still using GPUs and other stuff to do training with, but what they're trying to do is lower the operational cost of Alexa. And to do that, they need to lower the energy cost to answer my query. That's your operational cost, okay? So when I speak into the smart speaker and then it figures out that I said something, that I said something that needs an answer to, what did I say? What should the answer be? 
and then phrases it back to me. Okay, that's all energy. Doesn't matter how much the chips cost. That's all, it's energy and response time. Okay, the faster I can do certain parts of it, the more time it has to think about the quality of the response it's gonna give to me. So if I spend all my time just on the speech recognition and the speech generation, then I don't have a lot of time to actually figure out, is he talking about a recipe or a sports score? Okay. <laughs> so, and, and that's the important part is to give a relevant information based on the user's context back to them with this artificial intelligence. And so with the data that Amazon's collected on Alexa, it can train its own models. And based on those trained models, it has an architecture, a preferential architecture to go design inferential chips around. Now, inferential chips might not work with somebody else's speech recognition and generation engines. Might not be the right answer. And that's that's the challenge, is the memory profiles may be different, different, vastly different number of hyperparameters, right? Um, and the search space may be completely different, right? And so what the memory access patterns look like, how many convolutions do you need to do per second? You know, it's all kind of fungible as you talk about designing a chip that um, you know, is set up to deliver you more targeted ads, okay? Versus answering a question, versus finding that restaurant on the map. Um, you know, all of this stuff is fundamentally different models Okay, so where we go with that is that training is probably going to stay general purpose. Ideally, a lot of them want to design their own general purpose chip. And we know kind of what that looks like. It's a Google TPU. Okay, mm. TPU V2, V3. R2. Matrix math. Matrix I think the GPU's math. made a ton of money for NVIDIA <laughs> off of, right? Right, right. Now, when you add the tensor core to the GPU, and at some point we'll know that the war is over when NVIDIA cuts all the GPU stuff out. Right now, the, it's not really much of a GPU, but there's still some legacy there. You know, GPU is NVIDIA's DNA. When they make a part that can't do any, <laughs> it doesn't have a GPU legacy anymore, um, that's when the AI re revolution is pretty much over. Um, so part of a big subset of AI is security. Okay, starts with fraud detection and credit card transactions. Okay, but really quickly it morphs into you know, our, our concept of data center security used to be the, you know, the igloo <laughs> metaphor, right? It's really hard and crunchy on the outside, but once you break through, it's soft and chewy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> polar bear <laughs> analogy. Um, now data, sorry, so a cloud data center, cloud network, okay, you have to assume it's under constant attack, okay? It's a huge attack surface at, at Amazon, Google, you know, the, the Super 7, even the, the real estate plays, the, you know, tier two, the telecoms, everybody is under constant attack now. And so that whole concept of, we're just going to have a firewall. And once they break through the firewall, yeah, they, they can have whatever they want. We're, we're doing now behavioral analysis of what is running behind that first couple layers of protection, right? And so that behavior analysis wants to 
what you're trying to do is let legitimately credentialed apps do their thing, right? I have a security clearance. This is a usual thing for me to do. I should have access to this file. Don't prevent me from doing that. That's a business deceleration, right? At the same point, if somebody's doing something unusual, they have credentials, but not in that part of the system. It's not a usual thing for them to go, you know, that for that person or that app to go make a request to do. AI is being trained now, you know, on security data. What is what is usual and unusual for different roles? Okay. And so that then comes back down into the cloud data center with these smart next. And and so NVIDIA Mellanox. Okay, as part of NVIDIA's core data center strategy. NVIDIA and Mellanox before NVIDIA and ARM. That was a huge move on their part. Um, because what does Mellanox do? Mellanox has has actually a couple of different flavors of SmartNIC. One of them has an FPGA in it. Um, that's not gonna last long. <laughs> so, right, so we, we pretty well know that it's their you know, programmable ASIC that's gonna take the day and probably gonna have some NVIDIA, you know, tensor core magic in it at some point, right, to do the AI stuff. But, but that point of presence at every server node in a hyperscale data center, where you're control, where you're looking at the network traffic in real time with a trained AI model. By the way, this is NVIDIA's FP, sorry, this is Microsoft Azure's FPGA enabled catapult SmartNIC as well, right? Been doing that for years. It's on. It's attached to every Azure server, has been for years. And so these these are behavioral analysis to make sure that traffic is optimized in real time because a hyperscale data center is very fluid in terms of assembling clusters of nodes, disassembling them. That whole software-defined networking thing comes into play in a huge way. And AI helps all that become optimized. But what you're really doing is also preventing bad actors. You know, do you have the right cred credentials? And oh, by the way, not just do you have the right credentials, but is this something we expected you to do with those credentials? Okay. Is this is this somewhat, you know, if this is not normal behavior, I need to go figure out if it's normal. I need to ask someone, right? Um, and so AI really is when we talk about it permeating the cloud. Um, it's permeating the cloud at a fundamental level. When you look at um, Alibaba's X-Dragon SmartNIC, um, AWS's Nitro, Microsoft's Catapult. We have to assume Google's got something. They're not telling us about it, but you've got to assume they're doing something similar, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, Oracle's doing something similar. Yeah, it, I, you go down the list. It, but what they're doing is essentially putting a couple of things. A smart NIC has that extra level of security and assurance that protects your virtual core or bare metal, but it also gives you better performance because you're not actually running that stuff on the node. Okay, and that's the, the, the big story is that now not only did they offload the security and the credentials, but they offloaded the virtualization stack. And so you're paying very little overhead for virtualizing all of this metal now because you have that smart NIC as a sidecar to your actual server node doing the work. 
And, okay. and Paul, are, are, are companies starting to build things deeper into the, the, the stack? I, I mean, like it used to be just kind of you'd hire a, a SaaS company to take this application that you run within your organization. As large companies are understanding what cloud computing is capable of better now, are they asking for the infrastructure as a service so they can start doing the engineering and building the apps on their own? I think that's one of the things that we're running into, excuse me, with um, not just analytics, so SAP in general, apps like SAP, but um, AI specifically, is that data scientists don't scale very well. I mean, it's, it's a credential degreed, you know, experienced kind of human. <laughs> and, it's, and we haven't figured out how to automate that part yet. Okay, so we haven't yet invented the deep learning training and models that would say, my kind of problem needs this kind of training. Okay, here's how I would optimize my, um, my set of you know, oil and maintenance auto shops across the US. How would I analyze that data compared to a restaurant chain, compared to a hospital system, okay? So these are, the data looks different, okay? Even within, you know, comparing hospital systems or, you know, Jiffy Lube oil change chains, right? Everybody's been collecting data in different ways for the past 20, 30, 40 years, okay? And so um, the problem with analytics is, a challenge for the industry is it takes a human data scientist now to go in and look at it and it takes a human to start loading data to training, training to train AIs. Okay, so you can't just say, I'm going to create a data lake and let SAP add it, you know, SAP HANA. Somebody has to be really conversant in how to assemble that analytics package and how to train a useful AI model and then go deploy it. Um, without that being automated, I think that's where we're seeing the SaaS slow down, okay? The software as a service is one size does not fit all. We haven't been able to figure that out for deep learning training um, because every every inferencing solution now is, is a an ensemble of trained deep learning systems, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it is kind of rocket science still. We haven't simplified it. Everybody's trying. They're trying to create the high level construct so I can just feed it data, can go find patterns, but the patterns may not be important. Challenge is, that, but they may, be, they may be important and they may not matter or they may be culturally, there's the apocryphal, I'm not sure if we've talked about in the past, but uh, that AWS HR system that they implemented a few years ago, uh, where they trained it on you know, a few years worth of Amazon Human fact, human resources success data. I said, who's who are the candidates who are going to be successful at, at Amazon? Okay, and so after a few months of calling through the re the first level call of the resumes was this AI. Somebody raised a flag and said, "Yeah, we're not seeing any female resumes." Okay, and it turned out to be a cultural problem at Amazon at the time. To their credit, they they stopped the. HRAI and said, 
yeah, we're not promoting enough females. Okay, we're, 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 we are not gender unbiased. Uh, we've got some gender bias in our system. And so we're gonna shut the AI down. We're gonna go revisit the past few months worth of resumes that it didn't give us because they were female. Um, and we have a cultural problem. So the, when we talk about bias in AI, it could be that the system has had a, there's been a systemic problem that humans haven't recognized. Maybe we've kind of blinded ourselves. Maybe we just don't know the problem exists, okay? And the AI will expose it and take action on it if we tell it to, hey, do the, do the thing that matters the most, right? Um, and this is kind of the paperclip problem in AI, right? If you build an artificial intelligence that's tuned to making a better paperclip, um, then everything looks like a paperclip and, and you know, pretty soon it starts consuming the earth to make better paper clothes, right? It's going to do what you tell it to do, right? <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, give it a bunch of resumes and say, who's been successful in the past and, and who was successful in the past was a, was a, had a problem with it. Okay. And so you change the system and that changes the data that feeds into the AI. Um, so that, that kind of brings us, we had a question about the edge. Okay. And, and so edge computing and AI is a big deal. Okay. So what happens at the edge? What happens at the core? And, and that's Sora Barora, by the way, just to, to give a shout out to this actual question, our, our seven investing audience that he, specifically the question was, Paul, how do yeah. you, how do you foresee hedge, edge computing playing out? Would it become commoditized or will it still remain specialized? I think it's going to be specialized, mostly because of this AI thing that literally is permeating everything. If all we were talking about was like an ARM or, or um, a RISC-V microcontroller, um, you know, done. All right. But we, we live in a different world now. And so security at the edge has seen the same challenges, more challenges than security in the core, because security in the core is heavily defended. Okay, if you're talking about, you know, you, your whole network is, is exposed. If somebody pries into an IoT um, edge node or an endpoint and, and gets past that authentication and credential system and becomes a known good player on the system, that's part of the reason why we take a look at, is that actor uh, in security, is that actor qualified to take that action even though they have credentials? Have they done that before? Is that something we want them to do? And so IoT endpoints need that security and that that's gonna rely on inferencing models trained trained elsewhere. You can't train that in a cost-effective low power IoT endpoint, but there'll be some little AI deep learning acceleration kernel to run simple models at the edge or increasingly complicated models at the edge, right? Um, and it, it, they're different, there's a different metric for the same ends for lowering the cost of each inference. So the energy cost of an inference matters in a battery powered or solar powered, you know, resource powered um, IoT endpoint. Uh, it, it matters in a uh, 5G base station, okay? Um, all of these places are gonna have, be running inferencing models um, to tune performance as well as defend the system. Yep. 
So let me let me unpack some of that there, Paul. Holy cow, what a bunch to, to take in. I probably need to watch that about 10 more times for it to all sink in there with you. But I mean, some, some interesting points you bring up, right? First of all, is that data science is having challenges scaling. And, you know, part of this is we've seen these platforms, not, not just the software at the top application layer, but these platforms, the Splunks, the Twilio's, the Fastly's of the world that are more usage-based models now so that they can try to automate a lot of that stuff, take the human element out of it, find those analytic analytical problems. Security vendors too, the same thing. The goal is to try to make decisions as efficiently as possible. Um, I wanted to follow up on something you said multiple times about the difference between machine learning training and machine learning inference, uh, which are very different from each other. We've been training, you know, we, we talked about inferencia, we talked about Amazon. We've been training what a certain word is and how to recognize certain words for so long. We've been training autonomous cars, what a stop sign is, you know, what a, what a deer running in front of the road is for years. Um, and still the race car drives into the wall. Right, it still happens, <laughs> right? I mean, like, and you've got like NVIDIA now is, is trained everything, video rendering for everything to recognize things. And now it's, it's kind of taking the next step to inference, right? It's using GANs, generative uh, adversarial networks to create shapes of people's faces for Zoom calls so that it takes less bandwidth on those calls. Um, right. Obviously latency, a really big deal for, for self-driving cars. Um, Amazon has an interesting, I mean, like the computing for inference is so much greater than of training. Is this, to shift directions now to the semiconductor part of our conversation, yeah. we've gotten used to GPUs for training. I, I would say NVIDIA has become like the de facto standard for training. Do you think that's going to be the same for inference or is this going to require a boatload more horsepower than NVIDIA can provide? It's not about horsepower. Okay. Um, it, and this is NVIDIA's challenge is lowering the cost of energy per inference no matter what your inferencing model looks like, what's the cost of energy to deliver that inference in the time you have available to deliver it? You know, if it's an IoT or, or edge use case, you know, there's, there's different constraints on, you know, what am I doing with my sensor data? Where am I sending it? How am I summarizing it, right? But let's back up a second. So Moore's Law is kind of broken. You, meant, you had a glancing mention of that at the beginning, right? And so, and where we see that broken is in, in core frequencies, just not really going anywhere. Okay, so we can measure the core frequencies of the clouds that look at insights and they're flat. Okay, you get some new stuff in Cascade Lake that's starting to lift a little bit, but we're still not talking about seeing regularly seeing four and five gigahertz cores it just doesn't happen, okay? Can you talk so, a little bit more about that too, Paul? What, what you're doing with Lifter Insights, the public cloud transparency and kind of how you're seeing behind the scenes of, of what's getting deployed out there? So we or what's to, being used for instances out there? Right, so uh, so we do a semi-monthly enumeration of all of the rentable configuration, IaaS configurations from the top four clouds today. Um, more later, but um, Microsoft, Google, Alibaba and Amazon, okay? And so, that configuration space is huge. Um, if we're talking about just the SKUs, the, the configurations available, Linux-based, on-demand, um, worldwide, um, without taking into account zones, okay? This is just the, the SKUs available in each provider region, about 17,000 per scan and accelerating. It started at 11,000 back in 29, beginning of 2019, right? So you take this big 
shelf space. And we take a look at, you know, AMD versus Intel versus ARM, which is AWS Graviton. We look at NVIDIA versus the FPGAs, Intel and AMD and all this other, we have a, a vast amount of data. The, the clouds tell us uh, for the most part, um, 92, 93% coverage of base speeds for each virtual CPU. Um, how many cores, for instance, but how much memory per core. Um, so we see a lot of this data flying by. And what's what's really apparent, and we do this full enumeration every time we scan, so we know what's been added at a very granular level. This size was added in this geography. A new instance type was added, like um, I think AWS announced yesterday that their new A100 based type um, is now GA. Um, yes, as of yesterday in two regions, US West, US East. And we'll see that on our mid-month scan, okay? Um, so every two weeks we pick up the new stuff that shows up. Um, and frequencies for cores have been flat. Not only that, but each cloud has their own profile. Google's a little bit lower than the rest. They run their cloud a little bit cooler, maybe, maybe closer to ambient air temperature. Again, you know, cooling, lowering the PUE for a data center. Um, may people do, different clouds do different tricks in terms of how do I not spend a lot of air, air conditioning so more of my power budget goes to those compute jobs, okay? So Google's in generally lower frequency. I like is fairly high frequency compared, but it's a narrow range, okay? It's like, you know, 2.4 to 2.8 gigahertz with very little above three gigahertz, just, you know, some isolated instance types. Um, some of the newer ones starting to edge up there, but really slowly, um, specialty stuff. We'll see that happen wholesale when they go to cooling, water cooling, okay? So when, when the clouds start to adapt water cooling, other exotic cooling to mainstream instance types, we'll see more of the higher frequency types. But where that comes into play is you can't really just accelerate things by a lot of problems don't scale by adding a whole lot more cores. Okay. A lot for of, CPUs. For CPUs. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, a lot of problems are limited by memory domain on the GPU side. Mm -hmm. So this is why NVIDIA has those big HGX boxes with 16 GPUs and all their associated memory, because that, that memory domain forms the limits of how fast they can compute. If they expand that more by going outside the box, it slows down. The network then becomes a limiting factor in how fast that cluster can operate, just like a HPC cluster. Okay, that's why people went to InfiniBand and all these extreme measures. Because once you have a big cluster of compute power, the network starts to be, all those little serial network lines become the, the limiting factor in how fast you can go. So, Back to, back to inferencing chips. Um, <laughs> the Moore's Law thing comes into play is that when you have a trained model that doesn't look like other people's trained model to do a thing, okay? Uh, when, when you've taken your data and you've created something that's pretty optimal, then you, you have to tune that model for the hardware that you have available. And what's happened in the past few years is we've democratized design. So we've, we've, and, and, you know, Intel, bless them, last, last vendor standing as an integrated design and manufacturing shop, right? For the most part. Um, AMD separated with Global Foundries, long time ago now. Okay. NVIDIA, never been there. Um, 
But what we're finding is the clouds have enough performance data and they have enough cash on hand that if they want to go design a, per, a, a chip to go accelerate inferentia, or sorry, Alexa, spoiled the punchline here. Uh, <laughs> Going to accelerate infer, their Amazon Alexa real estate, and they have data centers doing Alexa, right? There's a you got 10, 20, 30 million people using Alexa every hour. You have data center space dedicated to serving Alexa in a meaningful way, right? Um, that's inferentia. So you design your own chip. And if you have enough scale and you deploy this chip at scale enough, then you get a benefit from having optimal code running on, that, that suits your service needs, running on a processor that's better tuned to run that code at a lower operational cost. That is why you do this, okay? Um, so, you know, you have a one-time upfront CapEx to buy a server with GPUs in it. And it's probably a lot more than buying that same server with the Inferentia chip in it because you're not, the Inferentia chip's not going through distribution. There's nobody, nobody getting a margin on it, right? It's just, you designed it, you're having a contract manufactured, it goes straight into your system, okay? But what matters the most isn't that cost differential. What matters the most is, am I getting the best OPEX out of that part? If I'm not getting good OPEX out of that part, then I need to be looking on the merchant market for something that's doing a better job or somebody, I need to share my data with somebody who can do a better job at custom designing a part. So all of the clouds are designing their own inferencing chips right now. Everybody in the top 12, okay, is, is doing some kind of research and development on inferencing chips for some set of applications that matters to them. And, and my investing question for you on that is, is, is that impacting the NVIDIAs and the, uh, well, previously the Xilinx is now the AMDs of the world that, that previously designed those chips? Are those being disrupted by in-house proprietary ASICs? They will be. I mean, if you look at what, what Amazon is doing, clearly um, infer, the Inferentia estate could have been GPUs. And it's expanding. They have, uh, and I can say the same about Graviton and ARM-based processors is they're growing Graviton dramatically. Okay, so same thing there, lowering the cost of serving a, a processor-based task, right? Um, and that, that cost is OPEX. Customers want performance. And if they don't care what instruction set delivers the performance, they just want reliable performance out of that part. Then Graviton, if it's lowering Amazon's operational cost, changes the equation for Amazon, okay? Um, and it's, I think where we're seeing some of the ARM server chip development fallout happen in the merchant market. Um, I think there've been rumors about Marvell um, very, very recently uh, losing some developers. And so I would kind of expect that it's gonna be a little tougher there um, because the, I'm mixing a lot of things here. So let me let me back up a, a second. <laughs> okay, go ahead, sure. Um, so closing out the GPUs and FPGAs. I think FPGAs will always have a slice of the market because you can test a design on an FPGA before committing to an ASIC, okay, custom silicon. So I think that 
folks will always have test beds. They, they'll probably have some initial deployments of big new capabilities using FPGAs if they've got to get them to market ahead of a, a full custom silicon design, okay? Um, the big battle is going to be on the software side, and this is, so history we kind of all know, is that AMD has done a really good job on client GPUs because of DirectX and these really simple GPU APIs, okay? And so they were able to latch into Windows and the gaming consoles and provide this driver level software for whoever managed the platform, in this case, Microsoft Windows or the Xbox folks or whoever, right? Um, did a lot of software co-development with, with AMD, okay? AMD really doesn't have, they tried it with Open OpenCL, OpenGL, uh, didn't really stick. Uh, but they don't really have a software developer, kind of general software developer program that would translate into competing with NVIDIA in IaaS. Okay, just didn't happen for AMD for a variety of reasons. Xilinx has a pretty good developer environment. Okay, the challenge is that FPGAs are still hard to program. Okay, <laughs> they they at least have an ecosystem. They they know how to build and grow this, and I think that's the real synergy with AMD, is that AM, AMD yeah they get the FPGAs um, and that keeps a slice of high value market for developer teams and early deployments and things like that, but the real value for AMD is a, a seasoned software developer team that knows how to create an ecosystem. Um, that's that's fighting their way out of the paper bag kind of stuff, okay. So, so, so Paul, allow me to step back just so I can connect the dots as best as I'm capable of doing here. But it does seem like, you know, you've got some powerhouse use cases out there. You've got Alexa using 30 million people at the time. So you've got a flood of data and at that point, you want to create optimal software code, right? Or something right. that's going to manipulate right. that in the, in the perfect way that you want to. And that's why Amazon goes out and creates its own custom chips. Um, and so you've got these, these really big cases. And the cases for this, the, the reason they want to do this is to get the OPEX as low as possible. You've got trillions of operations per second. You want the watts required of power to actually do those to be as minimal as possible. And so we're starting to see, if I'm hearing you correctly, the software and the ecosystem and the developer side of this becoming more and more an important part of getting that middle step between power and uh, and the and the software itself. And it's uh, if, we, if we take a look at IaaS again, the difference between SaaS and IaaS is that my my data scientists can go build what they need using IaaS and PaaS. And, and when you're saying IaaS, is this NVIDIA's CUDA, where you actually are letting a developer build on a GPU? Uh, in program something encoded in C, or are you talking about something different with that NVIDIA? Python. <laughs> but, Python, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> okay. yeah, Python. Um, but yeah, you you are down at the level of programming in Python using library, using these higher level libraries, uh, maybe some higher level constructs. And that's where some of the past stuff comes into play that's evolving now. But the challenge is that packaging that as a software as a service that applies to a whole bunch of horizontal companies doing the same thing. That just hasn't happened yet. We don't have that knowledge in the industry yet. And so AMD wants in, okay? Right right now we don't see many MI series GPUs in the cloud, okay? Um, and there's a bunch of reasons, but one of them is that there's no way, 
they don't have the same CUDA level programming support and library level programming support that NVIDIA has. Driver support for enterprise, it's another thing that, that Xilinx does well that AMD could definitely use is you know enter enterprise and cloud class driver support. Um, not gaming drivers, but enterprise, deep learning, bet your business, mission critical type driver support. Um, and that yeah, takes us back to NVIDIA now, um, who is my arm, okay? And and so they've got they've got the smart mix with Mellanox. Now they're now they're trying to buy ARM. Um, see what happens in China. Um, Forty billion dollars, Paul. This isn't pocket change anymore. That's a lot no, of money. It's not, it, but they're sitting on a war chest. What? I mean, at some point, it, it's not worth anything if you don't spend it. Okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> so, enough. Good point. Good point. And so, you know, it, it, are they overpaying? Don't care. Okay, if, if all they did was keep that cash and you know generate arbitrage money off of it, that just that doesn't count. Okay, um, yeah, so um, so they're investing now in the future of their business and competing with Intel, which has been Jensen's dream for a long time. Okay, and so the trick there is, you know, the Super Seven, the you know top dozen clouds are probably not your target. They are rolling their own right now. They're doing their own inferencing chips. A lot of them are looking into doing their own processor development. So a, a lot of that's ARM-based, by the way. Um, we'll see where RISC-V goes in the future. Those are your choices pretty much, right? Uh, but RISC-V doesn't yet have an enterprise ecosystem. ARM at least has that work been done for it. And AWS has really been pushing it, right? So um, custom design in the top clouds is going to be a feature of the landscape. It's going to eat into market share. Where NVIDIA and AMD, right? Because now AMD is in the smart NIC market because Xilinx has been piloting smart NICs. So the AMD Xilinx thing gets, gets AMD GPUs into play. They get AMD into the smart NIC game. Um, and you're starting to see these ecosystems really start to develop, right? Um, Telcos, tier two clouds, folks who need to buy, who don't have the money to do their own design. Okay, it still takes tens of millions of dollars to, you know, design, verify, deploy at scale, harden a chip design. Okay, that it's it's not for the faint of heart. It takes specialized skill sets, uh, and so you're looking at thirty to forty million dollars. You know, maybe a, a little bit less if you're doing this a lot. Right, but that's a big investment there, right? If you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars developing several chips at a time over the course of a year, like Amazon does, okay? <laughs> they do that. Um, they have chip design teams. And so one more chip for servers is not a big deal for them. Um, not as big a deal as it would be for somebody in the telco space, whom that's not a center of excellence. And so this is where I think NVIDIA um, Intel, AMD, you know, these combined ecosystems will still have a lot of ground to run in um, because not everybody can design their own chip. Um, first, you have to know, you, you have to have an app. Alexa hat is the app. Google search is the app. Okay, Microsoft, language translation and your spell checker, right, is the app. Um, they've, they've all got, those clouds have apps 
they need specialized silicon for to lower the cost of energy to make their margins. Okay. And so if you're if you're just selling cycles, okay, real estate investment trust, okay, you probably don't, you may have some of that security app data. Okay. So everybody on that score is generating a lot of security knowledge, right? But but in terms of app knowledge, probably not the dedicated focus silicon you'll find at the at the big app-based clouds. Facebook, you know, be really surprised if they're not designing their own chips. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, when you have the app and, and you're deployed at that kind of scale, you're working with somebody to go make this all run faster, better, cheaper. That's the next question we had from our audience, Paul, is I think exactly what you're talking about right now. This is from Anaj Roj. Uh, it says, as the seven hyperscalers plus Apple, I believe the hyperscalers are talking about the large clouds, right? The, the Alphabets, the Facebooks, the Alibabas of the world are building their own chips, Inferencia, et cetera. Uh, he says, what percent of their CapEx spend would be on semiconductors? And how do they see that divided between central and edge cloud deployments in the next five years? Uh, so are the large companies, are they putting more and more money into, into semiconductor chips that they're developing themselves? And are they deploying that in kind of these centralized or on these edge cloud deployments? All of the above. Okay. Multiple equations with multiple variables, but let's try and tease it apart. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> Great it, question, by the way. It is. A very good question. Um, what's your edge? So in some respects, Amazon's, AWS's edge is local zones. So at Lifter Insights, we started to pick up local zones and wavelength um, this last month or so. Okay, so we're starting to see those new regions pop up. Um, and the endpoint then becomes an outpost enclave, AWS outposts. Okay, so there you're talking about distributing data center infrastructure to the edge as part of your business. And outposts are a slice of what AWS does in their data center. And it's not just entirely probable, but they're they're definitely going to like put Graviton in the outposts. That's their plan. Okay. <laughs> you want to do inferencing, they'll have that inferentia chip. Um, they'll probably they've already started to have some uh, GPU enabled SKUs out on toward the edge for the general purpose folks, right? Um, so I think what, what the real question there is, is what percentage of that mix is merchant supply and what is in-house design and contract manufacturing? Um, because that most, that's what mostly is gonna affect Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, those, those folks is how much of this does Amazon build by itself over the long haul, okay? Um, could they get into memory eventually? That's probably way, farther than I'm willing to talk, right? Um, so memory chip supply, probably merchant for a long time. Um, they're gonna do their own custom assemblies and packaging, I would expect. Um, there's a, probably a point at which the big clouds get into buying known good dye and doing their own multi-chip packaging. Okay, I wanna put a GPU and uh, you know, high bandwidth memory stack and a couple of processors in the same package. You know, NVIDIA, can you ship me known good die? They'll complain, they'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as long as that business doesn't go to the inferentia chip, they're yeah. pretty happy with that, okay? 
So the, the landscape changes about who, you know, who's designing chips, building chips, packaging chips will change. Okay, known good dye, the source of that is either merchant or contract manufacturer. And it's too early, you know, to call out percentages, but you have to imagine that AWS is pointing away with, with Graviton and Differentia, that they're an increasing part of their mix for compute power is going to be in in-house design contract manufactured silicon. And what's your take on the question that you just posed, Paul, about uh, proprietary ASIC versus merchant that's a, that's commercially available? For the big guys like Amazon, is this a is this a thirty seventy split um, of in house versus, or is fifty fifty, or uh, uh, where are they I, spending I, I, their take, time and their money? Take memory and storage out of it for now. Yep. Okay. Um, those are really specialized things, um, but for compute power for IaaS. Um, I, I think if you look at what it takes to design for Inferentia, um, AWS had to stand up the same kind of development environment that NVIDIA has, that Xilinx has, okay, in order to enable developers to access Inferentia. That's a big effort. Um, Graviton less so. It's a standard instruction set, it's ARM, you know, Linux supports ARM, they've, they've taken some time to port their databases. So a lot of their PaaS databases now run on Graviton. Um, and, and so it's running, running specialized silicon internally um, makes a lot of sense. Exposing it to IaaS and PaaS customers takes a whole different level of commitment. So once you have the cheap chips, once you're buying them in volume to serve your search, to serve your grammar checker, um, then you make the decision, okay, so these boards are cheap now. Um, do I want to spend the money on software to go enable them for IS development? Okay, that, and that's a different business question. I think increasingly the answer will be, yeah, why don't we do that? Processors definitely um, depends on how general purpose that accelerator silicon is. Um, so got to imagine Inferentia has some promise for some apps that are not voice. That it, it, Amazon's worked very hard on certain classes of models for doing image recognition and stuff so that they would run on Inferentia now that they've built them. So uh -huh. Inferentia is not just a proprietary behind the, behind the scenes and behind the walls of Amazon project. This could be something that opens up because of all the work that they put into it. That's it. Well, that's their intent. They, yeah. they, now there, you can go rent an Inferentia instance type. And uh, the other thing is drivers. So uh, right now, um, all of the enterprise drivers, um, with the exception of an AMD desktop, virtual desktop SKU at, at Azure, um, run on Xeon. So all the GPUs, even Inferentia, is running on an Intel, with an Intel processor paired with it, because stable drivers. Okay, they want a stable platform, single platform for driver development. Where we'll see AMD doing, being really successful, and this is also true of, within AWS for Graviton, is when you start seeing the first dedicated accelerators where they paired an Epic with an NVIDIA chip, or even an Epic and an AMD GPU for one of those general purpose compute types. Okay, 
because um, right now doesn't happen. Um, and and same with same with Graviton. When you see Graviton paired with Inferentia in AWS's public cloud as a rentable instance type, it means they've done a lot of development work on those drivers. Paul, my, my final question for you is we, we've seen so many acquisitions and we've been talking about them throughout this entire conversation, but just to, to throw a couple of the numbers behind them, you know, NVIDIA buying Mellanox, you were talking about for networking chips earlier this year, $7 billion deal for that. We just saw them go out and, and buy ARM Holdings, uh, majority of ARM Holdings for $40 billion. Uh, we see analog devices buying maximum integrated products. We haven't even talked about that one yet. That was a twenty-one. That was a quiet twenty-one billion dollar deal right there. <laughs> right. And then and then AMD going out and buying Xilinx, you know, which you and I have talked about for years as a company for thirty-five billion dollars. Take this in so many different directions, Paul. But maybe the question I ask you is: What was the best? What was your favorite acquisition of all of those that were announced in twenty twenty? Who got the best deal? Maybe not even price tag aside, but what are you most excited about in terms of the semiconductor acquisitions that we took place this year? I, you know, aside from my previous history with AMD, I, I worked there for 20 years. Um, I'm going to have to call the AMD Xilinx uh, deal. Um, I think it potentially has the biggest impact um, in my central interest, which is cloud data center, right? So uh, some of the other stuff automotive and IoT, there's some good plays there. But um, I think the Xilinx purchase is um, AMD acquiring a mature software organization at its core. Um, it's it's not about the FPGAs. Um, the the SmartNICs is also a good play, um, but it, it's really about um, Xilinx understands the businesses that AMD wants to be in their software development teams could use the resources, the hardware resources that AMD has, the product, products, and be really successful. And so I see, you know, other people, you know, want to go take down Intel explicitly. I think AMD is, this is kind of table stakes for them to remain a, a player in the core data center. They've got a really good product with Epic, Epic Gen 2. Um, Epic Gen 3, from all I've heard, looks pretty solid. Uh, but they have, they have to grow as an organization to stay in the game. And um, I think this keeps that rolling. It gives them a closer, uh, right closer to developers. It's some, uh, Xilinx was yeah. very customizable, reprogrammable chip. This kind of gives AMD a relationship with those developers using those products. Absolutely. Um, and it, it gives them that whole an experienced team to go create a GPU ecosystem and a deep learning ecosystem, more importantly, to go combat NVIDIA um, and those in-house designs. They've got to, they've got to up their you. Mm -hmm. and, and back to the NVIDIA ARM uh, acquisition too, again, $40 billion. It's a huge acquisition. I've seen a lot of headlines. I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this one, Paul. I mean, is this all about the IP and the relationships with the cloud that ARM had uh, and the licensing model that it had? Or is, uh, what, what is it that NVIDIA is so interested in ARM holdings? Uh, and from, from my particular viewpoint, low power design. NVIDIA's had real trouble below 30 watts, historically. Okay. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're great at designing high performance parts. I mean, no two ways about it. That's their forte. Um, they're great at that ecosystem enablement, but 
they haven't been really good at lowering that cost per transaction. So we're seeing with the A100, um, and somebody's going to give me a call tomorrow about this, I know. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an, it's a mainframe story, okay? Um, if you keep an A100 fed and happy, okay, if you keep it 100% utilized, the cost per inference goes way down. But that's IBM's story for a Linux mainframe, okay? <laughs> it's like, and some people do have that, that you know, they're, but it's really a training part. Okay, um, for most folks, if you cannot virtualize that A100 satisfactorily, um, it's really not going to lower the cost per transaction enough. Okay, so a, anybody who posts this in our public cloud, so AWS, GCP, um, you know, got to imagine Azure and, and Alibaba are not far behind. Um, they've got to figure out a how to slice and dice an A100 uh, to attract folks to do inferencing on it and how to keep how to keep it fed well or else they're going to start pushing their customers via pricing and availability to other products um so anyhow that was probably more than you asked for but uh you're going to ask you another question about it. i, I I'm, yeah. I'm wanting more even more is it's still all about the opex though it's it's about presenting options to the cloud providers so they can still get yeah. the costs in terms of watt downs, depending on whatever it is that they want to use those processors for. So, and, and I buy in, I buy Jensen's point that he's buying a customer list, right? Mm -hmm. But with that customer list, he's got expectations. So the whole company, NVIDIA, is going to have to figure out to serve ARM's customers well. They've got to leverage ARM's low power design capabilities. And, re, and this is where you know, ARM hasn't been effective in designing a general purpose a, a GPU that can be used in you know, general applications. And so this is another marriage, could have an impact, but NVIDIA is already the market leader in their segment. ARM, ARM is already the front runner if you're not AMD or, or Intel, right? Um, that, I think it's big, but less transformative than the AMD Xilinx thing. Yeah, great. And how about Intel? Is Intel keeping up with all the developments in AI? We've talked a lot about AMD. We've talked a lot about NVIDIA. How is how is Intel reacting to its competitors moving so quickly? Wow. Um, That's another two-hour conversation it, I just it, spotted you It's a tough question because, <laughs> because, you know, they've got FPGAs, but they're caught in the middle between GPUs and specialty silicon, Habana, and before that, you know, other companies, right? At Nirvana, there's a whole litany of companies that Intel has bought. Um, and the CPU design folks who are putting in tensor cores, essentially, right? They're, they're putting in AI acceleration, deep learning acceleration. And so Intel's challenge is it's always CPU first. Okay. And, and so they've designed a bit of software, this Intel One, whatever they're calling it, um, that is a unified, you know, you give us code and we'll tell you we'll optimally port it to our processors or to an FPGA or to our GPUs or whenever when that happens or or our, our Habana silicon, right? And so you write to this high level code and fundamentally, I think that group should spin out and do the whole write once run on anything, right? That's a, that's a If they can do that code, that's brilliant. And it's got a whole business model all by itself. Um, but Intel is a silicon manufacturer, silicon design and manufacturer house. They are processor first, and that is that's the thing that bites them every time. Um, is that they have care and feeding and market funds for the other groups 
are they, they constantly have internal struggles about you know, who to put forward and who not to put forward. And it's at some point they have to grow like like NVIDIA needs to grow you know, past GPUs and say, we're an AI company. We don't care if it runs graphics. OK, um, Intel's got to evolve to a point where they have, they're just like, OK, we don't care what silicon we're selling you. We need to sell you appropriate silicon for your app. Yeah, great insight here, Paul. You can tell for anyone watching this conversation why I refer to Paul Teich as the smartest guy in the room when it comes to cloud computing, when it comes to the semiconductor industry. He's got 40 years of IT experience, 12 patents to his name. He's a principal analyst out at Lifter Insights in Austin, Texas. Hey, Paul, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for chatting with me and Seven Investing today. Thanks for having me, Simon. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And, and thanks for everybody for tuning in. Uh, we had a good time. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are seven investors. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. Using this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.